Hey friends, welcome to season two of Forever But Not Always. I am your host, Chelsea Pagan. This episode was not only super fun to record, but it is an important topic for all business owners and creators. And that topic is knowing your worth. I chat with Jamie Garland, hairstylist, color educator, and business owner of Bee Society in Los Gatos, California. And we talk all things knowing your worth, including setting your rate and getting comfortable losing clients because they either can't afford you or don't understand the value they are getting. She is such a force and I just love spending time with her. Enjoy. Hey girl. Hey. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming to hang out with me today. I'm pumped. Okay, good. Um... So this is Jamie Garland. Hey, hey. I have known Jamie since high school. And we've, I feel like I've been really lucky because even though I wouldn't necessarily say we spend a lot of time together, we're connected by a lot of different people, which means I feel like I run into you or I get to see you all the time. So it's always so much fun. Yeah. I mean, going back to high school, it's like you're just like sisters. I know you so well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's like when you're intertwined and you still live in the same area, I feel like it's so easy to find ways to connect. And especially I feel like over the last, I don't know, maybe year, two, couple years, I feel like you and I have talked a lot more either through Instagram or text. It's been really awesome. Totally. So and so you're bl- so easy. It's like we pick up where we left off. I yes. love that. Don't you love that? Those I are the do. best friendships. Totally. It's like friendships that are fun and low maintenance and they're not asking anything from you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like those are the friendships you have to cater to sometimes. For sure. So I'm really excited you're here because I have watched you build a very successful brand and business for yourself. And there's something that radiates when I either watch you in person or watch you on Instagram when you're highlighting your business. And that is that this is a woman that really knows her value and how important it is to set those boundaries in your business. So you're projecting the energy of, hey, I know my worth. You want to be a part of my business. You want to be a client of mine. This is what I have to offer. It's going to be amazing, but this is what my value is. Sure. And I'm just so proud of you. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Not that you need my validation, but But I wanted to share it. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And so um, I want to talk a little, start, at least start by talking a little bit about your background and how you got, how you made the choice to be a stylist, but also how that kind of transitioned into where you are now. So why don't you just tell me a little bit about your background? Well, we went to high school together. I was always an athlete and I think sports like came first. That was my whole life. Yeah. Um, I've also always loved to work and my first job was in a hair salon and I was really young. Most people don't know this, but my sister, she's 10 years older than me and she was working at a hair salon. And I want to say it was eighth grade, summer going to high school. I asked if I could work there. Obviously, you're not old enough to work, but they let me run the front desk and sweep up hair and cut foils. And I just loved being around these hairstylists. I think Mm -hmm. the energy of a salon is so fun. And so that was my very first job. It was just a summer job. And then obviously, high school happened. I started playing sports. Um, When I could get my worker's permit, I got that. So at 15, I started working at a hair or a tanning salon. Um, My other sister worked at that tanning salon. So I got a job there and I loved it. And so my paycheck would always go towards my hair. And Mm -hmm. I was obsessed with getting my hair done. So I'll never forget, I walked into a hair salon in Willow Glen because it was walking distance to my house. I didn't have my license yet. And I got in with the owner. He had a cancellation. And so I was getting my hair done. And back then, 
everywhere you went was like $120. So that's what I had in my pocket. And when I went to close out, it was $250. And I was like, shit, what am I going to do? I don't have that money. So I called my stepmom and she came and bailed me out. And the owner offered me a job and he said, you can have free hair if you work with us on Saturdays and in the summer. And so I did that for... I want to say two summers and then most Saturdays when I didn't have sports. And I think it says a lot when you're 16 years old and you don't want to leave work. I never, I loved being there. I didn't ask when I had to leave. I just was there until close. And I really enjoyed being there. And I thought that the stylists were so amazing and so creative. And I just enjoyed everything about it. So um, that's really where my love for hair came. I also just loved doing hair and doing my friend's hair for prom or first school, whatever event there was. Um, and then when it came time for college, I didn't want to go to co- I didn't like school. I did like the bare minimum. School wasn't easy for me and I tried hard, but it just didn't come easy. And I kept my GPA up so I could play sports, but it was sports were life. And so I didn't really see my athletic career going into college because college seemed hard right something that I didn't think I was gonna want to do um and so I knew my senior year I wanted to go to cosmetology school and I think there's such a stigma with going to hair school that most hair stylists will tell you like when you tell your parents or your friends it's almost like a cop-out of going to college Mm. where I really knew I'm like no I want to do like this is something I really want to do and so I think a lot of people get that because your parents obviously want you to go to school and get a degree. And I ended up going to San Jose State. I think my mom ended up like applying for colleges for me. Because <laughs> like I didn't on your do behalf. It. She did. She was like really, she really wanted me to get that college experience. So not necessarily the school, but just, you know, all my friends were going off to college right. and she wanted that. So yeah, she applied for me because I did not do any of that work. And I went to San Jose State. I hated it. And um, there was a beauty school that was like under construction. And I went there. I looked into it. I got into the first class, but it wasn't starting until December. So I just dropped out of San Jose State. I went home. I told my dad, I'm like, you don't have to pay for that anymore. I'm not going there. And I started hair school. And it was the best decision I've ever made. So I love that. I think that there's something really great about knowing exactly what you want to do and doing it for that reason versus all the noise that you can hear in the background. Mm -hmm. I think that that is definitely our parents' generation's thought process. Like you have to go to college. You have to do these things. For sure. But I think it's changing, right? I think Finally, I totally think that there's a huge shift. Not only because they're realizing everybody's in debt from going to school for – Um, these degrees that they usually don't end up using. Yeah, I think I read a statistic where it's like 60% of people are not using their degree in whatever field that they went into. And yes, student loan debt is insane. I think that's crazy. Yeah. And so knowing what you want to do, and it happens to be something that's more cost effective to get the education for. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, that's it's it's interesting that you share that because I, I, I don't think that way I mean I made a choice to do a lot of school but Mm -hmm. I loved school I still love school I love classes that's me when you found your passion and you needed school for right I had to do it right right? there was no other option to get to where we wanted to go but I also knew that and made those I remember thinking people thought I was crazy for going to law school to incur all that debt for that Mm -hmm. and like you can do other things 
And I'm like, I, I don't have a choice here. But I really like that you, you know, you tried something. You said, okay, I'll try it your way. I'll do this. And you're like, no, this is a waste of everyone's time and money. For sure. Mine. Well, yeah, and I didn't want to spend like unnecessary money. At that point, I was working in a restaurant. And for an 18-year-old, I was making bank. I mean, I was making so much money as a cocktail waitress. And I felt like, okay, well, I can put myself through this school. And I was meeting people and I was having like the time of my life. So I just felt like if I started four years after and like got a college degree, I would have just been behind. I'm happy that I went straight out of high school and I could start working because in hair, it's like you really need experience. You don't need four years of college and then hair school. So um, yeah, I was ahead of the game. By the time my friends were graduating college, I was doing well financially and I was completely on my own as a 19-year-old. So I think it was a good route to go. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're the only person living your life. Yeah. Right? You're the only person that can make those choices. For sure. And so that kind of takes me to you choosing to open up your own salon. Mm-hmm. I'm a business owner. I know it can be scary, but once you're in it, it can be you're, – I got so overwhelmed with excitement and joy of having that freedom of being in charge and realize that besides being a, a lawyer, mm-hmm. I realized I always wanted to own my own business. Like, oh, see, what? I did not. Oh I my god, so tell hate me. owning my own business. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> so then you have to tell me about this. So I, I think everyone's dream, you know, when you're in cosmetology school, you're just learning so much. So you're like, I'm going to be a, a hair salon owner. I'm going to do this. And it took, it didn't take very long for me to realize that like salon ownership is not as amazing as it seems. Um, and I was a renter for like straight out of school. I assisted and then I became a renter. And as a independent stylist, you are running your own business, but you're not, you know, you don't have employees or anything right. else. So it was definitely, there was a shift in my career. I was on my own for about four years. And then I had a great clientele going and I knew at this point there was so much more education out there and I wasn't getting education at that point. I just, I only knew what I knew. And it was a very mm-hmm. small bubble um, being in Los Gatos. And like, yes, we knew how to do hair, but I just felt like there was more. And so there's a hair salon in Los Angeles that was like my dream salon. And they had started in, a, they had an education program that they had just launched. Mm. And so I started paying for their hair classes. And I mean, it was like $1,000 a class. It was not cheap. Everyone in town thought I was nuts that I would like actually spend that kind of money on education because back then there's education out there, but I didn't think it was great. And so I started taking their classes and really falling in love with this salon because every time I went, I was overwhelmed with knowledge and there was, I started getting my hair done there too. That's kind of how this all happened. My friend went there. That's how I found out about the salon. And then I was like, I need to see what it's like. So I got my hair done there. I started their education classes. And then I ended up, the stylist I went to told me there was an assistant position available. And I went and I auditioned for it and I got the job and I moved like five days later. Wow. And so I dropped my clientele. I dropped my comfort um, in a town that I actually was pretty successful at 24 and I essentially downgraded and became an assistant again. And it was the best decision I've ever made. Um, my, you know, I didn't really have an end game. I thought, oh, I'm going to go live in Hollywood and have the best sure. life. And so I was an assistant there for almost a year. And I was pretty homesick. My now husband 
was still in San Jose. So I ended up moving home, but I gained so much knowledge being in LA and surrounding myself with these stylists that I was so inspired by. And for the first time, I met these stylists who were so respected and they treated hair like a real business. And I hadn't I wouldn't have had the knowledge or business sense if I never made that move. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was just, I leveled up. It was a totally different environment out there. And when I came home, that's kind of how my career really took off because, I mean, people eat that shit up. They're like, oh, you lived in LA. And my books were so slammed. I was nervous to move back home. I thought I lost everyone. And right at that time, social media picked up. So I was posting online. And within one year, I went from you know, on my own to having one assistant to having two assistants to taking on three chairs at a time. And we were just really growing and I was riding this wave and I outgrew the salon that I was in. So I had an opportunity to go manage another salon and kind of take over and make it my own without having to own it. And I was unhappy there and it didn't take long to realize that. But when I made that move, I brought a whole team with me and my assistants were then going on the floor and I felt responsible for everyone being kind of miserable there. And Mm. so I think ownership fell in my lap. It was not something I wanted to do, but I had slowly grown this team under me where I felt responsible for them. So I found a space. I opened B Society, which is my salon. We've been there seven years now. And it's not, I don't love being a salon owner. I love doing hair. (laughs) And so um, it's been an adjustment. I've had to learn on my own. But you learn so much when you just jump into it. And yeah, I just had to figure it out. And so that's how I became a salon owner. And I feel like you're, like there's plenty of people that think just like you. They have businesses and they're like, I just want to do the job. Yeah. You know, but you have to do these other things. And I'm kind of the, I'm not the opposite, but I'm somewhere in between. I would, if my business partner said, I didn't have to do any more legal work and I could run the business, I'd be Mm -hmm. like, sign me up. See, that's like, I'm I'm the opposite. I think in the beginning, I mean, you wear all the hats, right? So out of nowhere, I became the boss to my friends. These are all my best friends. Right. And that's a very difficult situation. Um, but you learn. And, and, and you, you learn. Have, yeah. Yeah. And I feel like knowing your core values is so important and just sticking with those. And I mean, I've made plenty of mistakes, a ton of mistakes, yeah. and I've learned from all of those. And I think now, I would say in the past couple years, I've finally found like my happy place running a business because I outsource the hard things. I have. Oh gosh, that's great. I have my tax professionals. I have my bookkeeper. I have my girls in the salon that pretty much run the salon for me. And, you know, for me, it's either my time or I pay for people to help me. And I think finally asking for help and finding the right people to help me has made my business so much more successful. And I actually think you just brought up a great point, which is going to transition to where we're what we're going to talk about mostly today is, is it's balancing what your time is worth Mm -hmm. to you and to the business versus paying somebody else to do it, right? Mm -hmm. I got into a situation or or our firm did where I was doing certain work that was taking me, let's say an hour, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't worth it for the business for me to do that because I could pay somebody half or not or even less than half of what I charge my for my mm-hmm. hourly rate and somebody who does it regularly be more efficient and outsource. And that is part of understanding your individual value, not only to yourself, but to your company and how you can build. 
And so one thing that I think will be interesting to hear from you is I can understand that whatever your prices are, Mm -hmm. are your prices and it's worth it because of the history you just provided from everything that you've done from right out of high school, building your career to making choices to educate yourself so that you can be the best stylist that you possibly can from obviously having leadership skills when you have that responsibility for a team Mm -hmm. you care about your team you want them to be successful you want them to have the best opportunities so why don't you talk to me a little bit about how you view your value and and how you determined what your worth is as your brand and through your business I think that all comes with growing right like straight out of school I see a lot now young stylists coming straight out of school and charging astronomical prices and you know you can't nobody can tell you your worth right I do find though that knowing your value and being really having that hard conversation with yourself what are you worth because for me doing this for 15 years and constantly educating myself I know my value I'm confident in my work but with that confidence comes knowledge. That's why I'm confident and I'm constantly learning. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of stylists that will get stagnant. And, you know, when you have, you don't have a boss. So you have to really look in the mirror and ask yourself, what are you worth? Is that $30 an hour? Is that $100 an hour? I have gotten to a point where my client list has been full for over five years. So I don't take on new clients. And when you become in demand like that, I'm only one person, right? So I like to give myself a raise every year. If there, I've never had a year where I haven't invested in education and constantly learning, but it, say I didn't one year, I just kind of did nothing and stayed a little stagnant. I probably wouldn't deserve that raise, but I can have that honest conversation with myself. And once you become more in demand, I can do pretty significant price jumps and you know if clients fall off there is a whole wait list of clients that do want to get in so I think now because of that demand it helps me learn my value and understand that I can do significant price increases when needed Um, for a while I was just giving myself a small raise but then it was getting to a point where I see that there are a lot of people out there that are willing to pay a certain price and if these clients in my chair aren't willing to pay that I can then have somebody new sitting in my chair. And that's not an easy conversation either. But I think it's really knowing your value and understanding that there are a million people out there. Everyone needs a hairstylist. And you don't have to be in everyone's budget. And Mm -hmm. you don't have to be for everyone. I'm definitely not for everyone. I have lost clients along the way. And it's not always about price. Like maybe they're not happy with their hair or... I think it's a relationship. And if somebody is sitting in my chair and they're not happy time after time, I will let a client go. And it's really just like, if you're not happy, there is somebody out there that will make you happy Mm -hmm. and within the price point that you want to pay. So for me, I am obsessed with hair and obsessed with my hair. I will pay $1,000 to get my hair done. That might seem batshit crazy for somebody else, but that's what I would pay. And I want clients in my chair that would want the same thing and respect my craft. Um, And you really just need to find the clientele that works for you. And, you know, try to find your dream clientele that sits in your chair and doesn't really ask 
you to trade in your worth, you know? So it's hard to find that like price point that works for you. But if you're producing quality work and your clients are happy and they're constantly coming back, you deserve to give yourself a raise just like anybody else in a work field, you know? So I think it's about having a really honest conversation with yourself and matching quality. How many clients do you have? Are your clients returning? That's a big one. I think you can have clients sit in your chair and you might have 100 clients sit in your chair, but if they're not coming back, there's a problem there. Mm -hmm. So really just having an honest conversation with yourself to understand what is your worth. And if you don't feel like you have a value that you want, you need to go out there and keep learning so that you can get to that point. So pricing is difficult, but... (laughs) Yeah, and... So like I think about like how we set our rates, mm-hmm. right? And some of the factors that we consider. Mm-hmm. A lot of what you just described, you know, I know I invest a lot of my in education. Mm-hmm. I was kind of telling you like I love school, I love learning. Um, I don't have an ego about myself as a lawyer, so if I don't know something, like I'm going to go find out yeah, absolutely. and and figure it out for the client or make sure that I know how to address these certain issue, issues. Um, so I know my worth because I also know that I don't take on a bunch of clients just to have like constant billables. I'm Mm -hmm. selective about my clients. And so I set my rate so that I can make sure I'm giving that client the attention they deserve. Obviously, our industries are very different, but there's tools that we pull that are industry specific. So for example, obviously, our overhead for our office and our staff, because we have staff that doesn't bring in money, Mm -hmm. like our admin staff, they help, you know, support the attorneys in our firm. They talk to, you know, our clients and they aren't paying their salary, meaning they're not billing the client. So we have to transition and spread the money that we're taking from the clients to them. So that's a factor. Mm -hmm. We ask around to other firms, firms our size, firms with similar experience. Um, You know, I have a really great network of colleagues who have been doing this a lot longer than I have. Mm -hmm. And I run my numbers by them and say, hey, like, do you feel like this is justifiable? So what tools in your industry, besides kind of the self-worth, the set, knowing yeah. what you want your price to be, but what other tools do um, you tend to use? Or maybe you yeah. personally don't use them, but other it's, stylists it's might. It's actually very similar to what you just said. So um, recently, so the new year came and our stylists raised their prices. I always talk around town to the other salons like hey what are your junior stylist prices or what is your owner prices I like to kind of get a gauge what everyone's doing it's it can suck sometimes because some people are way below where I think they should be and some people are really high up there so it's good to know what's going on in your area for sure um but again asking yourself okay what do you think you're worth if you want to make we'll do simple math here if you want to make a hundred dollars an hour and you're only taking on one client at a time you need to think, okay, well, what do my prices need to be per service to make $100 an hour after what's your overhead? How much color are you using? How much product are you using on the client? Um, do you have an assistant? If you have an assistant, that's overhead as well. I pay, right now I have two assistants. That's $20 an hour. That's $40 an hour out of you know my 10-hour day that I'm paying out to others. So you have to think of what's your overhead. Mm -hmm. If you're a renter, you have to think what's your rent cost every single day. So you have to really think about if you want to make a certain amount of money, you got to do the math and plug that in. So you want to make $100 an hour. How many hours does it take you to do a partial highlight? If that takes you three hours, then you need to think about, okay, well, then what's my overhead? 
and really do that math to figure out how to make $100 an hour. And then taxes come into play. You know, I think clients think we're just taking all the money. We have a ton of overhead merchant service fees for if you're using, you know, I use Square, right? So all of those, yes, those are write-offs. And I think there's a lot that goes into creating a service list and, for me, I take multiple clients at a time. So I think about, well, what do I net at the end of the day? And then how much of that was overhead? And I know because of how I run my business exactly what I take home and what's actually mine, not what's the IRS. It's like, what do I profit in a day? And I do wish a lot more hairstylists would treat being behind the chair like a real business and knowing your profit and loss margins every month. Um, I feel like there's not enough of that that goes around. And having a bookkeeper, you know, we want to wear all the hats, but sometimes it's it's worth it to invest in somebody that is skilled in that mindset mm-hmm. um, and that part of your business because it's it's rough out there for a hairstylist. If, you don't, if you're not organized and you don't know what you truly are making at the end of each month and profiting, I mean, it can get pretty crazy. So I think just understanding all of that overhead that comes into play and taxes and all of the things that, you know, we're not W-2 employees. So there's so much that goes into it, but it's just it's just a formula. And really, you just need to know what do you want to make hourly. Yeah, and I, I, I think sometimes it's important for different types of businesses to share the justification mm-hmm. behind their numbers. Not necessarily with an individual client, mm-hmm. but like we are doing now. We're just kind of talking about it, sharing it with other people, other business owners. Because I, so many times people will get quoted my hourly rate, my retainer and say, well, do they offer discounts for this, this and this? Mm-hmm. And we kindly just say, no, we don't. And sometimes I think they expect us to explain why we don't. Right. And we kind of leave it at that. And I've had a couple people be like, oh, okay. And it's like, yep. this is my hourly rate. These are our prices. We we don't discount for anybody. Totally. Um, and we understand, just like you were just saying, like not everyone can afford legal services. Right. Not everyone can afford me. And not everyone can afford a different firm that maybe charges more. And but that's okay. That's right. That's what I tell my stylists is, you know, every year when we have a price increase and we have a few new stylists at the salon that we're really worried about increasing their prices and they haven't done it in years i'm like you deserve a raise everybody does after each year you know if you're in i don't know in the tech world you go up for review and you usually get a raise every six months to Mm -hmm. a year right so they're nervous though because they're worried about when their clients check out you know you're gonna have to explain to them why like well there's inflation or there's this it's like you don't need to explain why if that ends up not being in their budget, there are other stylists that I'm always happy to refer to, yeah. right? If I'm no longer in your budget, my assistants are amazing and their price point is lower than mine. Mm-hmm. And they're great. I trained them. I I want to be giving clients to them. And I don't think there needs to be an explanation. Mm-hmm. It's just if you value me, then you'll be in my chair. And if not, that's totally okay. I'm happy to give you to somebody that is going to give you quality work, but they're just at a lower price point. Yeah, and we, we learned this in the way that what's somewhat common in the legal field, at least in family law, is like free consultations, like free 30-minute, 20-minute, whatever mm-hmm. it is. That was pretty common. and But there's lots of firms that don't do it at all, and you have to pay for a consultation. And last year, we were so busy, 
and we just decided we were doing i mean we were just doing so many free consults and these people weren't turning over into mm-hmm. clients so we started doing paid consultations and we have a consultation rate that is lower than our overall hourly rate just nice simple math right um but still pretty close to our hourly rate and we started doing paid consultations of hour and some cases can do half hour it just depends and we're getting a lot of people that are like, oh, I can't afford that or, oh, I don't want to pay other people off for free. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of move them along or, or make other referrals because, one, if you're saying you can't afford a consultation, then, then you, you definitely can't afford You it. definitely can't afford my <laughs> retainer. And, Amen. And, 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 and I can't help everybody, right? right. I'm, uh, I, I want to help the right people. Um, but I can't help everyone. And, mm-hmm. and uh, again, not everyone can afford legal services. I, I totally get that. Mm-hmm. But it's – and while we are doing less consultations when we're doing them, we're getting paid for them. For sure. So we're we're invest. I, I feel like such a weight when I'm talking to clients when they're – like a weight lifted. When I'm talking to clients and, I'm, and they're paying for it because I can, in, I can invest my time. I, I, I don't – I'm not trying to get through it and move on to the paying clients. And for sure. I didn't treat consults like that, but once I – once I was doing paid consultations, I realized I wasn't doing the, I wasn't giving those free consultations my best work. Well, yeah. And it's all about now I feel like there's so many unrealistic expectations where, you know, typically the client that doesn't want to pay this much for a service, Mm -hmm. they're asking for the most work. Right. And so I think where I find value in my work and, you know, the girls that I've trained is, Back in the day, we used to get our hair done every four to six weeks. You didn't want to see an inch of root. Mm -hmm. Now, my prices are way more expensive than they were 10 years ago, but I'm doing the most work to make sure that you don't need to come back here. My biggest compliment I'll get is when my clients sit down six months, you know, from their last appointment, and they're like, somebody asked if I got my hair done yesterday. That's what I want for my clients. I don't want them in there every three months, you know, or even six weeks, some of my clients. It's like, I'm not out here to just take your money. I really want to make sure that you have hair that is going to last you and Mm -hmm. it's within your budget. If a client doesn't have the budget for a full highlight, well, then I'm going to make sure that partial highlight is going to be impactful enough for them to where when they look in the mirror, they thought they got a full highlight. I will work with people, but it's like, I think that's where the value comes in. You're coming to me so that I can give you what you're asking for at your budget, yeah. you know, and then I don't need to see you for six months if that's not in your wheelhouse and your hair still is going to look great. And you're getting creative to benefit your client, mm-hmm. right? It's not just like maximizing what that client can do for your business, but maximizing their experience mm-hmm. so that they, you build that credibility that they know you're, they're being taken care of by you. Yeah. I so have you, clients that sit down and I'm like, why are you here? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, your hair looks great. We don't need to do what you booked for today. I need to put in like five foils and you will feel good and I'll see you in three months. So it's not, if you build that relationship with your clients, they understand the value that you have because mm-hmm. I'm not trying to take your money. If your hair looks good, I'm like, literally get out of here. I don't know yeah. why you're here right now. Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's all about relationships and them trusting you. And that's where the value comes into play. How has you know, knowing your value as far as your business and your brand impacted other areas of your life? Um, that's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean it to be. You're so but. deep. Um, I don't know. I think knowing your value, it, it's, it's about like just knowing who you are. And again, I think that comes with growth. We've been doing this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think 
it's impacted me in so many other ways. I make connections for a living, right? I feel like knowing my value, I'm very confident when talking to clients. I like to connect different people and I'm, I like to get to know people. And I feel like I've gained so much knowledge just in life and in business from my clients. And I think it's helped me in a lot of different avenues. Um, I get different job offers or like a lot, like just by knowing people and kind of, I don't know, I feel like as a hairstylist, you know everyone. I go places Mm -hmm. and I run into people and opportunities come up from me having connections with all all these people and knowing my worth and knowing my value and being very proud of being a successful hairstylist. I think... Um, I mean, it just brings in all different opportunities and it's helped me in motherhood. Like I'm very proud to be a business owner and a mom at the same time and like being able to show up for my kids, show up for my business. And I don't know, knowing your value just, it really helps you in all avenues of life. I think great things happen if you're confident and know your worth. Yeah, this this is kind of the chapter of my life I'm in right now where I'm realizing that I want more. Mm-hmm. And when I say that to people sometimes who know me, they go, I don't understand how you can do more. Totally. Right? Because I, I do run a business. I have a 21-month-old. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm, I have a, a marriage to nurture and a family to spend time with. I have friends that are important. Um, but when you realize there's something more for you mm-hmm. and – you know that that's something attainable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I think a lot of people have dreams and they just kind of have dreams and they, they don't really think they're going to happen. Right. Um, but you have to make it happen. I feel like yeah. I'm the same as you where it's like, I'm constantly chasing this, I want more. And when I have, so I have a three and a two-year-old now and I think I chilled for a minute and it was kind of during COVID and it was it was nice because it put, it gave me a new perspective, mm-hmm. right? And I, I learned how to chill but it's just not in me. I, I'm constantly looking for more. And right now it's like me educating. I, I just, there's constantly something that I feel like if I don't have goals and I don't set goals and I don't reach them, I'm not fulfilled. And Mm -hmm. that's not in everybody and that's okay. But for me, I'm constantly setting goals and I got to hit that goal or I, I just want to keep moving on to the next thing. And that's what makes me fulfilled. Yeah, same. And it's not in everybody, but that's okay. But you know what? You're an athlete. <laughs> it is. It, right? Hey, you know what's so funny is, I mean, God, I'm, I haven't played sports since high school, yes. but I am that that person that's like, when you grow up as an athlete and you have an ath- athlete's mentality, that doesn't leave you ever. No. And I, it's the competitive nature in me. And that's why I love sports so much is I love to compete. And now I don't have sports in my life. So for me, I'm competing against myself and I'm constantly wanting I, – I just want to win. Yeah. And like once I have a goal, I'm like, okay, well, I need to win that goal. Like it's definitely an athlete's mentality. And the documentaries, like the Michael Jordan documentary or I just watched Steph Curry. It's like I love watching an athlete in any way I can because I feel – I'm like that's my brain. I get it. I get it. Yep. And if you didn't play sports, you don't get it. Yeah, I think that's what it is for me is like I, I have to have something I'm working towards. Mm-hmm. That What I'm working toward doesn't always have to have a monetary gain or mm-hmm. even like a, 
um, a measurable gain that somebody would, else would notice, right? No, it's, just, it's for it me. It has to do with me. Yes. And uh, if, if I'm making a promise or a commitment to myself and I'm breaking that, that makes me feel like, well, if I can't keep a promise to myself to commit to these goals that I'm setting for myself, how am I going to keep promises to other people around me? It just impacts so much. And so I think that, you know, when you're, when you have a business and you're always trying to strive for the next thing, it doesn't mean you're trying to change the business or like, you know, blow the industry through the roof and do something crazy. That's not always it, but it's, it's setting goals for yourself and trying new things and being uncomfortable where I think the growth is. Mm-hmm. And I just think that impacts so many things. Not only your business, but your personal life. For it makes sure. life more fun too. There's so much fun to be had in mm-hmm. life. And a lot of that requires you to go do something. Totally. You have to do something, be active, be out there to experience all the fun that life has. And um, I, 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 I had a conversation with a girlfriend of mine and I – a lot of my friends are athletes. I think mm-hmm. by, just in general, that's w- the type of people I'm attracted that's to. Same. <laughs> right? And it's it's very similar. So I think that that's funny that you say those types of things because that's the second – while you were talking, I was like, well, yeah, I know why. But well, I'm like, at this point, I'm not – there's nobody out there I'm competing against, you know? And I feel like I'm just constantly competing my, with myself and like keeping my blinders on. I don't care what everyone's doing around me. I just need to keep – going and moving forward and I don't know if I'll ever reach a point where I'm like this is true success or this is true happiness I just want to keep it moving and hopefully I get there one day but I don't know once you knock things off the list like okay well what's next what's next yeah yeah so what is next for Jamie um I'm working on something exciting and not hair related at all um but I can't really talk about it just yet but you're working on something we're working on something and it'll be exciting and in our community, it'll be um, – it's my other passion besides doing hair. Um, a job that I've had – I was in the industry for a long time. And, yeah, we're working on something. So I can't talk about it. But it'll come. <laughs> it'll come. You'll know when it happens. So where can people find you to keep updated on what you're doing? My social media, um, at Jamie Garland Hair. I feel like that's really where – I put all my stuff out there. So any education, um, anything that I launch or drop will be on my social media page. Perfect. Instagram. Love yeah. it. Well, thank, thank you so you. much for your time today. It's so I know much this fun. is great. We could talk forever. I, I know that. That's why I'm kind of like, okay. I <laughs> wrap feel, it up. I feel like we should wrap it up because otherwise <laughs> this episode's going to get real long. All well, right. Thanks, Charles. Yeah, thanks. thanks.